Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 105, The Virtual Move, recorded September 10th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Well, first off, we're glad to be back. Uh, Sean was a little under the weather last week, so we, uh, we, we missed the show, and uh, I just... We have an old one in the can, and I thought about putting it up there, and but in the end decided it's just too old, and I just <laughs> I just didn't do because it's almost almost two years old now. Um, yeah, we did that one a long time ago. Yeah. So this week we're going to uh, talk about virtual machines in a different light. Uh, we've talked about them off and on throughout the show, and uh, this time we're going to um, take a different spin on it. But before we get there. I need to introduce Sean. Hi, Sean Keibel. Hey, it's great to be here as usual. And uh, yes, it's great to be feeling much better than I did last Monday. So I don't know. Did I, uh, I guess I didn't get a chance last Monday to tell the story about the previous Monday. So, uh, so I guess I'll start off with that. Uh, two Mondays ago, the last one that we recorded, uh, I'm I'm recording my daughter as uh, some of you have seen her uh, or at least like her arm or the top of her head or whatever. She likes to sit next to me when I'm recording. And uh, so I was recording and uh, she was just kind of a few feet off to the side. She likes to just kind of watch what we're doing. And she gets up and she goes to the bathroom. And I didn't think about it. I didn't think anything of it. Kind of just saw her off on the on my periphery there. And then she comes back. And then like 10, 15 minutes later, she gets up, goes to the bathroom. A few minutes later, comes back. And then like another 10, 15 minutes after that, and this is over the course of the whole show, she gets up, goes to the bathroom again, and she's gone a little longer this time, you know, like maybe 15 minutes or so. And she comes back and she had obviously had a bath. Her hair is wet. She changed into pajamas on her own. And uh, she's five, so that's not our normal routine, you know. Normally, it's, you know, I have to kind of walk her through the whole uh, getting ready for bed routine every night. And so I, I thought it was odd, and we were just wrapping up. <laughs> so so we got done, and I go walk, you know, I, I, I feel like there's something I need to investigate. And I go, and I walk into my bathroom, and there's just puke all over the floor. So what she had done, you know, she was going back and forth to the bathroom, throwing up and, uh, bless her heart. She didn't want to disturb me. <laughs> She's always known, you know, when we're recording, you know, you gotta be quiet. Don't, don't, uh, uh, don't disturb dad, so to speak. And she, uh, as bad as she was feeling and puking and everything else, she did not even give me the slightest hint that there was anything wrong. And even so far as to when she was covered in puke she took it upon herself to get a bath and get changed so uh i felt horrible i i just felt so bad and uh you know we spent the ne her the next two days this is literally the first day of school for her ever first day of kindergarten and that evening she's thrown up so uh, she missed the next two days of school and i i joke that on the third day of school she had officially missed two-thirds of her entire career uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so that was it. So after the show wrapped up, I went, cleaned everything up and, um, uh, you know, started, uh, commenced to taking care of her and, um, and then sure enough, like clockwork the very next week I had the same thing. So, uh, that's, that's how I spent the last two Mondays. I know you were dying to know. 
Well, you know, that's that's quite a trooper there for her to, uh, you know, be managing that on her own at, at five. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. I really did. I didn't, uh, you know, she's a smart kid and uh, she's fairly self-reliant for five years old, but I didn't, you know, I would never have given her credit for that. Uh, it was pretty amazing, especially feeling that bad. I mean, that'd be hard enough for me to do, you know, when you're feeling that horrible. So, uh, yeah, a lot of credit to my little girl. I was, I was, I was proud and at the same time felt very sorry for her. Yeah. Well, um, I don't quite know how to respond to that. I mean, right. Of course, then you had to go clean it all up and that's no fun. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. So, uh, uh, Mark, it's that it's that magical time of year. You know what I'm talking about, right? Actually, I had I had a much better transition working, but that's all right. You go. Oh, you did. <laughs> well, I don't have to. All I got to say is, man, are you ready for some football? Uh, it, how awesome! And here we are, right? We're both football fans, and here we are Monday night. We're not watching Monday night football. We're recording a show. So, one, if you're listening to the show, I just want you to know that's the kind of dedication we have. We're bypassing the first Monday night football game of the year to and be it's, here with you. And it's Peyton. You know, not only is it Monday night football, it's the Broncos. And no, 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 no. The, no, that was last night. Oh, that was last night. Okay. See, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm totally messed up because I was recording shows last night too. <laughs> right, right. No, they had the late game last night. And if you don't know this out there, uh, you've probably heard me talk about it before in the past if you've listened long enough. But uh, diehard Bronco fan here. Was super excited to have Peyton Manning uh, come to the Broncos, and of course had to listen to all the naysayers talk about how you know quarterbacks don't generally come back after what he's been through. And I tend to agree, but I think he's got a few more seasons left in him. And uh, boy, was I vindicated uh, with that game last night! It was it was great, and uh, I was I was very excited about that. Yeah, I missed uh, the whole thing. I was doing podcasting. Yeah, it was a great game. It really was. It started off kind of sloppy on both sides, but you know you kind of expect that first game of the year. Uh, most teams are going to be a little rough, but um, yeah, it was great. So, uh, so if you didn't know it, yes, Mark and uh, Mark and I were uh, both pretty hardy football fans. Yes. We're not like crazy paint our bellies or anything <laughs> football fans, but uh, there's not enough so, yeah. paint for my belly. That's a lot of paint. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> All right, so what you had a lead off uh, here that I just saw tonight as I opened the show notes. So what's yeah, you out? ruined it. So you, you, your daughter had a bad day, and you had a right. bad day. But I bet neither of them were as bad as the day that the guys over at GoDaddy had today, um, as they uh, lost service to some ten and a half million customers. Uh, on their hosted, not only just their hosted, Ooh. but their expensive hosting, their small business, the one they charge a lot of money for with their dedicated uptime and all that good stuff. Um, right. Bad news. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's funny. It depends on which article you read. Um, some articles say hacker takes down GoDaddy. Uh, but the fact is there have been n nobody. There's one guy on Twitter who claims that he did it uh, and said that he's part of Anonymous. And and anonymous did it. Meanwhile, the more official anonymous channel said, "No, -uh, we didn't do it." Uh, and GoDaddy's not releasing what happened. They say they're not really sure what happened. But the you know the 
the the websites I won't mention, who are more interested in a headline than in truth, are saying Lone Hacker takes down GoDaddy. Um, and it just makes me laugh. It's not only a tech story, but it's a, a sad state of journalism in America today. Yeah, yeah. I always have to go for that uh, the sensational story, right? And even if it's not a sensational story, they have to make it into a sensational story. Uh, yeah, just horrible stuff. Um, wow, I hadn't heard about that. I, I was pretty out of touch, though. Today was uh, at work was just one of those days where, you know, you... I don't know how most people out there operate. The way I operate is I like to start my day off, and before I hit the door, I like to have like two or three things in mind that I want to. I, I really want to accomplish that day, right? And uh, and great if I get them done in the first couple hours, that's awesome. I, I have a really productive day, and I I charge forward. Today was not one of those days. I got in the door, and I didn't even get to start option one, and uh, and you know. I was putting out fires, and it was just one of those days. Spent all day putting out fires, so typical Monday, I guess. But I was out of touch with reality as well, so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, Mark, because uh, this this served to uh, tell me all about that too. That's weird. So uh, uh, I don't know. Without going into too much detail, we know we know some places that have domain names registered through them. I guess it didn't it didn't affect anything like that, right? It didn't. Um, no, it wasn't. We're just talking about hosting, right? Right. It wasn't registries. It was hosting. And, uh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all their, they have lots of customers, but it was about 10.5 million. It's enough to get somebody's attention. Right. Uh, but it wasn't, wasn't all of them. Um, uh, but you know, uh, a guy that we had on, on our, uh, art of podcasting show last night, Mike Smith of the Mike tech show, he was one of the ones down and there were, uh, uh, Socrative, actually, the the site that you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they were one of them that were yeah. taken down. Uh, so there, you know, there were some big names out there uh, because this, like, this was GoDaddy's sort of premier hosting uh, that that went down. So it's a it's a big deal. Um, you know, we can we can talk honestly about it because GoDaddy's not paying any money yet. Uh, once the money starts rolling in, we'll just, uh, have to gloss it over and say, well, it was a small percentage of their customers. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Uh but anyway, that's just that's just the tech news. And of course by the time this comes out on Thursday, it will be old news. Um Right. But another thing that will be old news by then is tomorrow is September eleventh, and, and here's all I want to say about that. Uh eleven or so years ago tomorrow, some really bad people did some really bad things, and I don't want to talk about that. But what I do want to talk about is the fact that some really ordinary people did some really extraordinary things. And that's why we call it Patriot Day. So uh, in remembrance of the ordinary people who behaved in extraordinary manners, uh, remember September 11th, 2001. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's funny, Mark. I At some point during the school day, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing it was some students or whatever, but they had put up these, uh, I don't know, maybe foot and a half tall flags, you know, the kind that you might stick in your yard, uh, on the 4th of July or something. And I, I walked out and it, it was one of those days I was just, you know, I was completely mindless because I had so many things going on and I walk out and I see all these flags that they had set up and I have to count them because I, I'm sure there's some significance to the number of them that they put out. But I'm walking by these flags and I'm thinking, 
no, not Veterans Day. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't figure out, I'm like, why did they put these flags out? Uh, that's got to be it, you know. Right. Uh, so uh yeah yeah definitely i i'm i'm there with you you know not what can we possibly add to that other than say uh uh yeah some bad people did some bad things and uh, uh and it brought gonna... out the best in us all right right so for a little while all right. then we forgot about it i went back to fighting <laughs> yes <laughs> so i mentioned on the show uh month maybe two months ago uh, about something that I was experimenting with, uh, a, a little device. Uh, I'm not even sure I even mentioned the name of it. I, I've mentioned it on uh, on a couple other shows, but the the Obi High uh, telephone uh, SIP device. You remember me talking about that, Sean? I do. I do remember that. And uh, I, I said, I remember I'd, what you said, but yeah. <laughs> well, I said I'd let you know how it worked. Well, the uh, to to catch you up on it, Obi High, O B I H A I. Elementopi.com slash Amazon. Search for OB High. Um, it's a little uh, device about half the size of a deck of playing cards. It's small. Um, and the one I got was 40 bucks, 39.99 free shipping. Uh, they make a 49.99 version too. Uh, and it plugs into your broadband connection. And then you plug a, a standard analog phone into it. I, I have a a cordless phone with two handsets and two chargers. So that's what I've got plugged into it. And uh, you plug the phone into the OB high and then you connect the OB high to a SIP provider, whatever SIP provider you might have. What's a SIP provider you might ask? Well, that's a, an internet phone company like, Oh, say Google voice. So I went out and got a, a Google voice number with an Atlanta exchange, local Atlanta exchange, uh, forwarded it to my OB high device. And now I have, free home phone service for a $39 one-time ever fee. No monthly fee, no charges. I just bought the box and plugged it into my broadband that I'm already paying for. You dial my Google voice number, it goes to my home phone. I pick up my home phone, it goes out my Google voice number. Uh, and Plus all the other goodness of Google voice. So uh, voicemail um, comes to my email. Now I don't have to check an answering machine. Somebody leaves a, a message, it comes to my email. Um, my sister-in-law, uh, we gave her that number and we told her it was our home phone. Apparently she entered it in her phone as a cell phone. And so she keeps texting my home phone, but it works cause it's Google voice and the text messages go, uh, go to my in, in, uh, email box. So, uh, it's a great service. Um, uh, Google voice, obviously. And, uh, it's been free for a long time for to free to us and Canada. Uh, and you know, even if they start charging, maybe say they charge a, 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 you know, a couple bucks a month, it'll be worth it to me. Uh, you know, back in Texas, before we moved, I was paying $60 a month for local service because it was, you know, that mandatory local calling area that they like to get you with, you know, we'll make everything local, but you'll pay for it. So yeah, the basic service was like 60 bucks, but now I've got Google voice with, with, uh, with all the Google voice goodness. I've got three-way calling and caller ID and call waiting and, and, uh, you can, uh, listen in while people leave you voicemail, all that sort of stuff for the price of one little device and the setup was a breeze. I mean, if you're, if you're not technical at all, you're not listening to the show, but if you're not technical at all <laughs> and all you, all you know how to do is set up a phone, it's way more complicated than the phone. But if you've ever signed up for anything online, if you've ever bought something online, you can do this. So I had to set up a new Google voice account. That was the hardest part of the whole process. Then I, I plugged in my OB high and had a, had a web address I went to. 
and it said, pick up your phone that's connected to it, dial these numbers. I dialed these numbers, and it said, your device is now activated. And then I went to the to the page. I had to create an account there at obtalk.com, and it said, do you have a Google Voice account? Why, yes, I do. Give me the username and password of your Google Voice account. I did. That was it. I'm now set up. The whole process took seven minutes. It was awesome. Wow. So that's just like that one extra step. Because, you know, that's normally how you would set up uh, forwarding a Google Voice number to just your cell phone. Right. Uh, that whole first portion that you mentioned there. So just the OBHI website part, which, yeah, what does that take, like a minute? Yeah. Uh, is the only extra thing you had to do to set it up. Yeah, and to uh, and here's another a trick, a little hack that I will mention. Uh, I was out of phone numbers because I have I have a Google Voice on my cell phone, and we have Google Voice for uh, Element Opie, and my wife has Google Voice on her cell phone. And with Google Voice, you have to give it a real phone number or it doesn't work. Right. Uh, so I f uh, found courtesy of uh, uh, Steve uh, Cherubino of uh, Podnuts. Uh, he was on a show, and he mentioned a service called SendHub. SendHub is sort of like Google Voice, where you they'll give you a number that uh, will send texts and voicemails to. It's not actually a phone service, it's just a number. Like if you don't trust somebody, like if you want to give somebody a phone number for Craigslist or something like that, you can get a SendHub number, and that sends email, uh, sends text messages as emails and, and that sort of thing. So I went and got a SendHub number fed that number to Google Voice to tell it that it was my real phone. They called me, it and it, it all worked just fine. So I nice. did all of this without actually having a real phone line anywhere. Nice. That is nice. Yeah, that frustrated me a few months back because uh, I was wanting to get, uh, you know, I already had a Google Voice number that I was actually using. You know, it wasn't just a throwaway number. Right. But I was wanting to get a second one that I could give to, you know, you knew that this number was going to end up on some marketing list. You know, you always have those things that you have to sign up for. And uh, so I was wanting a throwaway number like that and uh, quickly found out that uh, that's, you know, not going to happen through Google. So uh, that's a neat little hack. So sendhub.com is exactly what that's designed for. And you give it your cell phone number. And just like Google Voice, it forwards things to your cell phone. So when Google Voice called me, it went to the cell phone that I already had tied to Google Voice, so it was a you know his little uh, left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, but it's and it right. works. The quality is not superior, but it's cell phone quality. Um, and at this point, I don't have a home phone; I just have my cell phone and and the Google Voice line. So, uh, you know, it's it's not super clean, but it's good enough. And I haven't had any drops or anything. Now I've got lots of bandwidth. I I have uh, a twenty five meg down, five meg up connection. Uh, so your mileage may vary if you're out in the sticks with a, with a dial-up. Well, if you're a dial-up, you don't need a phone. With a cheesy DSL <laughs> or something like that. But if you've got good bandwidth, but you want to cut the phone cord, OB High. I highly recommend it. You can find it on elementopi.com slash Amazon. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and uh, Jim in the chat room says, uh, like like your old place, Mark. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, right. the, now, the bandwidth I had there was awesome the 70% of the time it worked. The other 30%, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, lots of fun. And we're glad we're well beyond that now. And it seems like you have all of your other technical issues uh, taken care of there now, too, well, right? Well, not exactly. Um <laughs> 
I I used uh, three laptops to do this show, and they're they're all relatively old laptops, except my personal one uh, that I'm using right now for the video. And it uh, had a the power jack broke on it, and so for a couple of weeks there we couldn't do video, and I had to do docs on a, on another uh, computer. But I got that fixed. Found a local guy here in Atlanta who could do it for a reasonable price. I mean, they're all ripoffs. When I was doing it, I ripped people off, but uh, you know it's just the way it is. Um, but uh, the the uh, computer that that we mentioned on this show a while back that was given to me by CDI Computers, brand new Dell. Uh, Inspiron laptop a couple of years ago that has been the 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 recording device for the show since almost since the show began um, is what I had been using to do all my editing and everything uh, previously and I edited some the some stuff on Saturday and and everything was working yesterday Sunday I came down here and turned it on and it gave me that uh, Windows sys cannot boot system file not found problem that we've all seen before oh yeah. Um, so I ran spin right on it to no avail, and uh, uh, and it's gone. I've 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 got it upstairs now, trying to reinstall Windows XP on it. Uh, thank you, Corey Knapp, for sending me an ISO of of XP Service Pack three. I've got, uh, you know, it's all legal. I've got a COA and everything. I just can't find my my DVD, so uh, or CD in that case. So Corey was good enough to send me a link to an ISO. Appreciate that, Corey. Uh, but anyway, so that's all working now. But uh, you know, I'm just uh, and a couple of weeks ago be before that. Um, like on our first week back with the periodic table, the Skype machine crashed and I had to go buy a new network card for that. So all three laptops that I use for the show have, have had major problems in the last three weeks. So, um, you know, I'll, this is a good opportunity to point out the tip jar at the top of the page <laughs> on elementop.com. If you, cause I'm recording right now onto my little crappy digital backup recorder. I don't have multi-track recording and all that good stuff. I can't do any editing on this show when it's over. I'll just have to throw it up like it is. Uh, so if you want the the good, high-quality edited stuff back, um, elementop.com, click the tip jar because I'm running out of gear. And right. I, I just spent thousands of dollars to move across the country, and I don't have the spare change. So uh, consider <laughs> this a... Um, uh, not so thinly veiled plea for you to give me money. <laughs> well, know that it doesn't go into your pockets. Uh, it goes right back to the show. So, uh, that's safe to say. That's true. Yeah. I, I am very much a net negative on this show, on this project so far. I haven't made, uh, you know, some of you guys have, have been very faithful about donating and I appreciate that. Uh, but it, uh, has, been nowhere near the expense. So, uh, so far I'm doing this as a, as an expensive hobby. That's what I tell people. It's my expensive hobby. Some guys play golf. Some guys collect wine. Some guys restore cars. I podcast. That's my expensive hobby. Right. And if you listen to Leo Laporte, uh, you know, don't be mistaken. We're not all, uh, driving our 2012 Ford Mustang with the Ford sink, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> that Ford gave us, you know, and, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. So, uh, uh yeah, 
Yeah, keep those tips coming. We we love them. Uh, and uh, I also wanted to jump in here, Mark, while I said it, because I called out Jim in the chat room uh, for his comment. But if you're listening to the uh, maybe not so post-edited version of the show that comes out every Thursday, do keep in mind you can join us uh, live, listen in live, but you can also join the chat room at elementop.com and uh, join us live for the show and interact with us. And uh, if you say something funny or distracting in the chat room, uh, we're very likely to call you out. We love having having you guys in the chat room uh it keeps us motivated and hopefully somewhat fresh all right so these next two items in the show notes are those old from last week or are those new well they kind of are i want to at least mention the first one uh it's uh, at engadget.com uh, you may have to search the site for it a little bit because it was meant this was meant for last week uh they they had uh they had published a Engadget's Back to School Guide. I guess they do this every year. Uh, I came across it in doing research for the show. And what was cool about it at the time was they had, uh, last week, they would have had four days left in this uh, kind of giveaway that they were doing for schools so you could enter your school in and uh, maybe win something. Uh, I tend not to go for that stuff because uh, I never win. But... <laughs> But uh, the back to school guide was pretty cool because they had all these different uh, tech areas, you know, laptops and uh, tablets, and they rated all these different things. But they rated them on a, in a per, or from a perspective of uh, use and education. So I thought it was a really neat uh, uh, kind of series of articles. Really, there was a ton of links there, and you could go and uh, look at the different areas. So if you want to check it out, go over to engadget.com and uh, uh, search for that for that link or. Uh, you know, for that, uh, I don't know, I guess, article and gadgets back to school guide. Cool. Okay. So moving right along, um, as has been the case, uh, in the last few shows, you know, we, we started, uh, last spring really with the, if you build it series of shows where the question was asked, what do you do if you just walk into a new system? And, and, you know, you got to start from the ground up. Well, we talked about that. And then, well, Sean is sort of in that position. He has just recently walked into a new position. So these last few shows have sort of been a continuation of that as Sean um, brings the, the new guy on the job troubles to the show. And I help him if I can. And we, uh, we talk about it whether I can or not. So we have a little more of those this week. And uh, so he's going to talk about some things that some challenges he's faced uh, at his new job, my old job. And uh, hopefully we can all learn something from it. So, Sean, I'm just going to hand it over to you. Yeah, uh, sounds good. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I hope that one, I'm going to do my best because uh, if you've listened to the show long enough, you know that if I'm talking about the uh, my predecessor or anything about the network. I'm basically talking about Mark's work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, one, I want, I want to preface that with, uh, so watch no it, boy. In, right. At no time <laughs> am I trying to bash that at all. And uh, that's kind of what I'm finding. It's, it's really interesting because, uh, my level of knowledge and skill as compared to, uh, Mark's level, uh, is night and day. Uh, and, and the funny thing about that is, uh, some things that I'm really noticing is that, uh, kind of like we talked about in the "If You Build It" series, that uh, you know anybody when you when you go in, and especially when you operate kind of in the tightwad tech method, you you, know, you home grow so much of this stuff, right? And and you know it inside and out. 
And of course, you may have a certain level of expertise in these different areas that really lends to setting things up that way. Um, but at the same time, it can handicap somebody else coming in after you who maybe doesn't know, uh, you know, this area or that area as well, or doesn't know exactly how you built it or, or why, or, you know, maybe some of the interdependencies and things like that. So, um, I'm learning that and it's, it's, uh, it's been challenging, but, uh, you know, personally I enjoy that challenge. It, It pushes me and it's forcing me to learn some new things. So, uh, this show, uh, is going to revolve around and, uh, to Mark's credit on the way out, he told me that this was going to need to be done at some point, but, uh, I basically have an overloaded, overworked VM or VM server, I should say. And, uh, that's leading to some, uh, some interesting issues that I'm having to sort of juggle right now, uh, just to sort of bandaid along until I can really get uh, the fix in place. And, uh, that's what I'm going to be picking Mark's brain as far as which direction I should go. Uh, the first thing I want to mention that is related to that is uh, we are a Google Apps for Education school district. So uh, everybody, students, teachers, everybody gets, you know, not only their email through Google or through Gmail, but, uh, you know, they're heavy users of Google Docs in the classroom and things like that. So uh, when these systems aren't working, it is a huge problem for the district. And, uh, now when we set this up, uh, Google did not handle Active Directory integration natively. There wasn't really, you couldn't just have, uh, Google interact with your Active Directory and, uh, you know, have users log in with their network credentials. So what Mark did, and I'm not sure, Mark, you could probably say where you got that hack from, but you had the, we had a Moodle server that was uh, serving up a Moodle. If you don't know what Moodle is, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe if you're not in education, Moodle is a course management system. It, um, it, it's a way for you to serve up online courses, essentially. And we had one of those set up for our teachers to put their coursework online so their students could access that uh, both in school and at home. But Moodle has some sort of a plug-in that actually could facilitate the handoff of the Active Directory sign-on and handing that off to Google and, and saying, hey, this person's authenticated, go ahead and let them in. Uh, is that a pretty pretty good description of that, Mark? Yeah, it, uh, basically, uh, Moodle was the go-between. Uh, it, it, it all stems from the fact that Active Directory's uh, security is very, very good. And there was no way for uh, Google to have access to the passwords in Active Directory. There were a couple of hacks that involved uh, decrypting the user's password and storing it on a separate location and passing it to Google uh, over HTTPS. So it wasn't uh, in free text, but it was still, it left the passwords vulnerable and it was a hack. And it's it's something I didn't want to do. But what Moodle was able to do, is uh, Moodle connects directly into the LDAP part of Active Directory and authenticates just fine. And Moodle also connects directly to, to Google Docs and, and works. So because it can do both, uh, you have the, an excellent opportunity to have a middleman there. So what happens is a user logs into Moodle, it checks Active Directory and says, hey, does this person have an account? And if so, are the credentials he gave me accurate? Uh, if the answer is yes, it checks Google and says, do you have a record of this person? And do you have it as set, uh, uh, 
uh, as an active user. And if Google says no, it says, all right, well, create this user because it's a real person. If it says yes, it doesn't pass the password to Google. Google still doesn't know the password. It just says, I'm okay with this person. He's verified it to me. And so you set things up so that Google accepts its verification from Moodle. Doesn't need a password. It just says, um, this is an alternative authority for verifying uh, um, authenticity of the account. So you're never passing the password back and forth. So it, it works really well. Plus, it drove everybody to the Moodle. We were trying to foster use of that. Uh, so it made everybody at some point touch the Moodle, which was you know a, de a design feature that we considered to be a good thing. Um, since then, Google Apps has largely supplanted Moodle. Most of what we used to do in Moodle, we do with Google Sites and things like that. At least that's the way it was when I left, and I assume it's yes. still that way. So the Moodle is, while it's still out there and being actively used by a few people, it's not as mainstream. So the problem that Sean is running into is that uh, the, the Moodle is on a virtual machine, and virtual machines are notorious for clock drift. And anytime you're dealing with uh, a Kerberos server, a, a Active Directory or LDAP, uh, it, it bases passwords and, and security on the time. So what happens is if that clock on the VM drifts enough, nobody authenticates to anything, and everybody's locked out, even if their passwords are right. Is that a pretty good assessment, Sean? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what's been happening. And, you know, I know for you, Mark, and on your way out, you had told, you had told me about that, and you said this is going to be a problem. And, uh, you know, I, I can't remember, but I seem to want to say that you said, you know, oh, every two or three weeks or so, you're going to have to get in there and reset the time. And, uh, and you know, no big deal. But you did say also that, you know, I've noticed it's been getting worse over time, slowly uh, and, but steadily getting worse. And uh, now part of that, and this is something we'll get into a little bit later in the show, but is the fact that uh, I think we also are are uh, battling a VM that is maybe a little overworked or a VM server that's a little overworked. Uh, so I think that's compounding the problem somewhat because I'm seeing a lot of my other servers on that uh, on that VM server that are starting to be a little sluggish and things like that. And as I've noticed those getting more sluggish, I see that this uh, this Moodle server, uh, the the time sync issue is getting steadily worse. So now I'm at a point where I'm having to reset the time two to three times a day. And uh, if you don't know this, I can tell you that the time drift, once it gets to be oh right around 10 minutes off, uh, seems to be where we start having problems. And to say start having problems, there's it's like turning on a switch. It's it's just everybody can log in, and then suddenly nobody can log in. Right. Um, so, uh, it, it, now the good thing is with a problem like that, I find out about it very quickly, as you can imagine, uh, as soon as people start having problems logging in, they let me know. Um, I've let, I've let it kind of be known widespread that we are having some issues with that. And, you know, if anybody has a problem logging in to let me know, um, it's a very easy fix. It takes about a minute to, to reset that all. Um, so you know, it's not horrible, but the fact that I'm having to do it two, three times a day now um, is killing me. So uh, let me, uh, my let me, first, Sean, before we go on, let me address a couple questions in the chat room there uh, that address this virtual machine issue, because this is core to what we're talking about. Uh, right. In a virtual machine, everything is virtualized, including the timekeeping crystal. It's all entirely virtualized. Uh, and 
uh, depending on the degree to which you're virtualized, if it's a hypervisor that can share some hardware or a full virtual machine, which is the situation Sean's running right now, um, when a machine's performance degrades because the machine's overworked, the, the host machine, for example, is overworked, the everything slows down. I mean, you all know that. You have computers. When it's doing more stuff, you know, you're time slicing the CPU. You're, you're all waiting in uh, your turn to do things. And what can happen is that can drift. And because it's in software, it never knows to correct. It always thinks it's right because the thing it's checking back to is um, an artificial crystal that it's assuming is always right. Now, uh, all virtual machine systems have this problem. All virtual machine systems have something in the host system that auto-corrects that over time, that syncs it with the, with the time server, which is probably why he's having to do it only a couple of times a day instead of every few hours, because that is kicking in. But if, you're, if your host is overworked, that's slowing down too. So it, it, does, it takes it a while to realize there's a problem, and then it sends the data as soon as it can. And so it's a, com it's a cascading of issues all relating to the fact that we have some 18 virtual machines on one server. And it's just, even though it's a big, beefy server, um, we're reaching to the, the point where it can't handle it anymore. Now, Yeah, and uh, Mark, I, Jim in the chat room has had a question, and I had the same question I wanted to pose to you because uh, Jim asked about, is there a way for, uh, he, he says a script, but basically for it to check an internet time server like uh, a lot you would do on a lot of servers. And uh, I know that uh, for this, this is a CentOS uh, version 5, I don't know, 5.5, something like that uh, server, but it does have the network time protocol. Yeah, all, Linux, Jim, that, all Linux machines do. That That's just built in. But uh, Right, so why, why does that not work? I, that's what I wasn't understanding. I was like, well, this thing's supposed to be going out and checking with these time right. servers. Why, why was that not working? Because the NTP protocol is written to have what they call a progressive back-off. Uh, they, they don't want it slamming all the time servers in the world by checking every few seconds or whatever. So when you first boot up, it checks. Uh, it, it says, okay, I am within a few seconds because you just rebooted. Everything was, uh, was synchronized. It says, okay, well, I'm within a couple of seconds. I'm going to wait a while before I check again. Then it checks back and it makes a calculation. And, and, and so it progressively backs off of checking. And so what's happening is you're getting in between that thing. It's not like a little script that goes out every few minutes. It's a it's a complex algorithm that decides how often it should check. So it does it does go in and it does check, but things have drifted so far by that point um, that you're you're in trouble. And also, uh, my understanding of the network time protocol is uh, if things are too far off, if it knows I checked it ten minutes ago, but I'm looking at it now and it's seventy minutes off. I'm going to assume there's a problem. I'm not, I'm not going to assume that my machine is actually that messed up. I'm going to assume that there's a, a server down. So what I'm going to do is actually back off even more because that server okay. must be overloaded. I assume it's giving me bad data. So it's, a, it's a, a, a lot of clever engineering working against you. Now, I can show you how, uh, very simply, to, to write a script that would schedule that, and you can make it every minute check the, the server and that would solve your problem in the short term but you still have a long-term problem of a machine uh with with uh you know and and jim in the chat room uh says that the server you know uh he's questioning why the server can't handle 
uh, those VMs. It's it's not that it can't handle them. It's that it can't handle the load we're putting on them because we're using them a lot. And I think that the biggest problem is not the OS itself, but the network bandwidth. I think that because you're dealing with uh, all this, uh, you know, it's our web server, it's our Moodle server, and the web server gets pounded. It's our Kaltura server. Uh, it's it's I say our. It's your. I don't work there anymore. Right. Uh, and I think that the big problem comes from the the network. And now it's got four, four uh, network cards on it, and they're all plugged in at full gigabit uh, connectivity. And I've got the load balanced as much as possible. But at some point, I think we're just reaching the physical limits of that machine. So we can throw more RAM at it. We can throw more network cards at it. Uh, or what I think is probably the best solution is start pulling things off of it and make them physical again. Uh, like that Moodle, for example, clone that sucker, drop it on real hardware. It doesn't have to be fancy real hardware. Just drop it on, right. on a desktop. And I suspect that it will solve at least that part of the problem. Well, um, and I also have a question for you, Mark, because, you know, as I was, I was thinking about the whole Moodle situation, and kind of like you said, you know, we did that at a time because out of necessity. But since that time, uh, Google has fixed the Active Directory Sync problem. I guess uh, fixed maybe isn't the right word, but they came up with their own solution. And, you know, the word on the street from what I've heard is it actually works okay. So, uh, it, you know, I agree with you that I think I need to clone that and move that out onto its own hardware. But at that same time, do I look to go ahead and maybe switch over to the Google Active Directory Sync? Um, I've only read briefly the because this came out just recently just in the last couple of months in fact i think we talked about it on the show uh when it happened it was uh uh maybe april or may that that google released this uh and and i've just read the specs i haven't experimented with it but my initial reaction is one of distrust um because i don't like sending any uh user data like that out over the network, um, no matter how good the encryption is. What I liked about the Moodle thing is everything stays behind the firewall and all you get sent over the internet is a yes or no. Yes, this person's right. authenticated. No, this person's not authenticated. Um, with this system, you're hashing it and it's secure and all that, but you're still handing out passwords over the internet. And that makes me nervous. Right, because even, even you can trust Google to the ends of the world but when you're sending that out in you know in the open, then sure it might be encrypted, but there's your opportunity for somebody to grab that information, right? Right, uh, and it just you know maybe I'm just being tinfoil hat. Maybe it's perfectly safe, but uh, you know I just don't like. But and it's not it's not that I worried about I worry about the Google. It's the fact that that one password is their password to everything. We have so unified everything through right. Active Directory that it's it's a single point of failure um and i don't want to give that out to anybody ever well that certainly makes sense and uh not only that but i guess if you know users just being users the average user uh if they lose their active directory password if somebody manages to get a hold of their active directory password it's probably also the password to their bank account and you yeah, know everything else. So let's let's face it. Uh, I think the average user probably uses you know some version of the same password for just about everything. Yeah, but uh, you know, 
I can't give you a well-reasoned explanation of why I don't trust it. And maybe it's just me being too old school. Uh, and maybe I should, should, uh, give up on that. But, uh, my, my initial reading of the document makes me think that it's going to be at best parody and likely, uh, less than what you've got now. Well, except that it might work. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think I'm, my initial plan is, I think just like you said is, you know, it'll be so much easier for me just to clone the dang thing, throw it on, uh, its own dedicated, uh, set of hardware and just let it go as it is. Um, and then, you know, if I continue to have problems beyond that point, then maybe I look for another solution. But, uh, I know aside from this server time drift issue, uh, it, it works beautifully. Yeah, it's really a great setup. It's uh, the how do I set up a user goes like this. They go to the secretary when they enroll. The secretary creates their Active Directory account. Then they go log in to the computer, which makes them change the initial password, the 123ABC password they were given. Then they go log in to Moodle, and then every account is provisioned from that point on. Your Windows account, your email account, your Google Docs account, your... Uh, uh, everything is all done through that one act. And, and that's really cool because it takes all the load off of, of you as the tech. Uh, there's no intervention you have to do. The initial account set up through the templates and everything is done by somebody else. And then everything else is automated. It's a great way to do things. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, uh, if you are interested in doing something like that, I mean, it's, it's a reason to throw a Moodle server up just to handle this one thing. I mean, you may not even be in education, but if you want to uh, handle your authentication this way, uh, it's it's pretty useful little uh, tool to have. All right, so uh, I, I'm just going to throw this one thing out there before we get into the whole VM server uh, spiel. But so if I clone this thing and I move it, I mean, is it as simple as because I'm you know there's one three letter letter word I'm thinking of here, Mark. Uh, when I think about this and I'm praying that it's this easy, but, uh, can I just, uh, suck that up as an image in fog and throw it back down onto a piece of hardware? And, uh, cause one, I'm, I'm worried about, okay. Uh, I know that fog, you know, you, you can't throw an image down on a smaller hard drive. So now I'm, I'm dealing with virtual hard drive versus physical hard drive. So I'm wondering, you know, are there any gotchas I need to to worry about there? Uh, can I use Fog? Is Fog the best way to do that? And then two, uh, are there any other hardware things that I need to look out for? Or, you know, does, does will that VM know that now it's dealing with a physical crystal and, and things like that? Are there any uh, words of wisdom that you can share with me? Uh, well... Yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, uh, if I think I got the order right. Uh, yes, you can use fog. Yes, there are other ways to do it. No, they're not necessarily better. Uh, yes, it should uh, recognize the changes in hardware. Uh, no, it won't be um, just an automatic thing. It'll be just as if you would anything else. You're moving it to new hardware. But assuming the hardware you're moving it to is uh common um then it should work you you'll probably have to go in there and and like maybe reset up the network cards cuz you're moving it uh you know to that thing you and and 
uh, stuff like that, but typical sort of setup set that you're accustomed to. Uh, and, you know, as long as you don't shut the one down until you bring the other one up, um, it should be a relatively smooth process. Now, you're because you're using uh, a Linux operating system instead of Windows, you're not going to get the good uh, compression features of Fog, and you're not going to get all that. You're just going to get a bit-for-bit -bit copy. Um, but it'll work. Uh, another solution is to use uh, VMware Solution. I forget what they call it. They've changed the name several times. But uh, it's designed specifically for moving virtual machines from physical to virtual and back. And it's free, okay. and you can download it. Uh, but I don't really think it's going to work any better or any worse than Fog. Okay. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I got onto a, VM, a VMware site and was kind of researching uh, the different various solutions there. Because, you know, for w one, and I guess we can start kind of moving into the the meat of this show, which was uh, really addressing the issue of the VM server getting overloaded. Uh, but, you know, when that started happening, I started thinking, well, okay, what what are my solutions here? And uh, I kind of thought in two different directions. I thought, okay, well, either A, I could buy another server and sort of split, you know, half of those out so that now I'm, I'm taking that workload and cutting it in half and putting it on two physical servers. And voila, you know, my problem should be solved. And I'll, I'll duplicate the VM software uh, setup and uh, and just split those uh, those individual VMs out. Uh, but, you know, then I thought, well, you know, there's another way to go about this too, is I know they have these, you know, paid for enterprise solutions that supposedly work so much better. And so then I was really uh, unsure of what to do because as you research these things, you're like, well, okay, now where do I spend my money? Do I buy another set of hardware that uh, and split it out? Or do I spend the money on software and uh, the software thing to me seems like a gamble because these companies are great. They have great marketing departments uh, that can tell you, you know, that it's going to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for you while it's doing everything else, but it never seems to live up to all the hype. So that's where I'm a little right. bit leery. And I, I was kind of curious what your take on that is. Well, just to back up a little bit and give the uh, audience some, some uh, context, uh, what you're dealing with is a Linux uh, server hosting a VMware server, the free VMware server product, with uh, various Linux and Windows virtual machines on it. Now, when I set this up, uh, the uh, virtual machine, the, the VMware hypervisor wasn't a free product at the time. Uh, it is now. And what that is, it's, it's essentially exactly the same thing, but it's a specially designed Linux OS. Uh, that's very thin and and acts as a hypervisor rather than just a, a straight uh, virtualization, which means it lets you share some of the actual native resources of the hardware. It is more efficient. It does uh, work a little better, not a lot better, but there are you know ten to fifteen percent maybe performance gains uh, out of it doing it that way. And again, that is a free product. Uh, the really cool stuff that uh, lets you load balance between multiple servers and move things without ever shutting them down, that's what you pay for. So VMware is giving you the basic stuff free and making you pay for the stuff that you actually want. It's like, you know, in order to get Discovery Channel on cable, you've got to get 19 off-brand uh, sports in New Zealand 
channels that you don't want. It's that whole uh, right. bundling thing. Uh, no offense to New Zealand. I just don't care about cricket. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, in your situation, and this is going to apply to, isn't going to apply to everybody, but I'm going to answer your question. Uh, I know for a fact that you have another identical server sitting there beside you because I bought it and I set it up. So the idea there was every night that server makes a, an exact copy of all your virtual machines. And it doesn't do anything else. None of them are turned on. They're just running. So that was your your fault tolerance. It doesn't have as much RAM as your primary server. It's got 16 gigs and the other one has 64 gigs, I think, something like that. So Right, that sounds right. You could get amazing performance gains if you lose your backup. So you you shut down the VM on uh, two or three VMs on the overloaded server, bring them up on the backup server. They're exactly the same. They were copied at midnight last night. Now they're running on on a machine that's not overloaded and the overloaded machine isn't as overloaded. So you can fix this in an hour uh, for you. Right. But you don't no longer have a backup. So that's what I would do where I still is sitting in the seat that you sit in now is I would bring that one up. It's not going to run all 18 of them because it doesn't have much RAM, but you could easily, easily uh, put five of them on there very comfortably, six, seven, depending, you know, uh, on, depending which ones on, I pick. on which ones you do. Yeah. And balance the load that way and have immediate gains and then go buy a new backup server. And then that's the way I would do it. That's the tightwad way to do it. Okay. And then, yeah. And then just back up, uh, well, gosh, I don't know. I guess I back up both machines to a single. How, how does that work? Yeah, because the idea is you want to be able or to just have something there that you can spin up. Now, like like right now, if your primary server went down, you could spin up the backup and everything would be there. It would run like a dog because the machine would be even more overloaded. But that's okay. Right. That's just your backup while you're fixing the problem. So, right. you know, that's what I would do. I'd buy a third server and then be pulling everything, backing up everything onto that. But, you've, you know, the way hardware prices have changed now, you could probably get one more powerful than what you've got now uh, right. for, you know, not a whole lot of money. Uh, and then you set up exactly, you just put Linux on it. CentOS is what I like. You, and then you put VMware on it and you just copy the machines all over. And when the time comes, you fire them up and then you could really have uh, a three-way sort of thing working there where you have triple redundancy. And, and, you know, you could probably do that for 10K or less. Right. And then anything can go down. And I, I mean, I'm really not going to have uh, almost no downtime. And I really don't have to worry about that at all. So I, I get that uh, kind of extra insurance to go along with it. Right. Um, that That's not using the latest and greatest. Uh, but my, again, these are, these are my numbers. I haven't done hard research on this, just eyeball research. Um, using a hypervisor, using the, the lower, uh, overhead systems from, from VMware for, or from anyone else will give you a small performance gain overloading a full OS and running uh, an app on it. But it's not a lot. And I think, that because of the ease of, of flexibility and because you can move things around using rsync and not having to pay their really expensive uh, software uh, to do all that, I think that's the more effective bang for your buck. Yes, you lose a little performance, but you gain a great deal of mobility and you're not locked into a vendor. Because, you know, if you decided you didn't want to use VMware or they, uh, you know, decided to stop uh, updating it, 
uh, it's a fairly simple conversion to make those virtual box uh, uh, virtual machines or or Windows. Uh, I just forgot the name of it. Virtual <laughs> machines, virtual PC <laughs> machines. So yeah. uh, it gives you a lot more flexibility, and you're not locked into I must use what VMware says I must use. Yeah, which I think uh, we've definitely made a point of. Uh, you know, we've made a point over the years. Uh, not to do that vendor lock-in. That's a big reason why I think we're such, uh, I don't know, we're so against like Apple products, right? Because they try so hard to get you locked in like that. Yeah, and then it's in their best interest to do that. Uh, And and it's okay to sometimes sip the Kool-Aid. It really is. Uh, But I just think that you have to look and see what the best options are. You know, like before... Uh, before I left there, I bought into the Microsoft uh, school agreement thing. And, you know, now you're paying them an annual fee for uh, Windows and uh, desktop licenses. But when you put the, you know, put the pencil to the paper, it worked out to be the better deal. So sometimes when it's a better deal, do it. In this case, I don't think it's the better deal. Right, right. Okay, well that uh, that helps a lot. That definitely gives me uh, some direction there, uh, and I'll start I'll start moving in that direction. Starting with the whole uh, moving the Moodle server, because I mean, regardless of how I decide to uh, address the the VM server, uh, I, I still have uh, I still need to go ahead and just move that Moodle server off onto its own own well, hardware, right? Not, I mean, I put that on the desktop, right? Yeah, not necessarily. No? you move that to the backup server and spin it up where it's the only one running and watch what happens. And then the next day, move another one over and watch what happens. And the next day, move another one over and just keep doing that um, over the course of a couple of weeks until you reach a balance where everything's working. And then you can still have your virtual machines. Okay. So you think my my time sync issue should start to clear up if I get it onto a not overloaded machine? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Well, uh, it's hard to believe we've already, we're, we're coming up on that hour point, aren't we? Yeah. We've, uh, yeah, we, we, we hit the topic at like 40 minutes in. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad because, uh, when I did the notes for this show, I was like, ah, you know, I do this so often. I'm like, is this enough content? Are we going to be able to, or are we going to have to stretch it? Uh, so no, we, uh, we did good. And, uh, this is, that pretty much wraps it up for me. Those were the, the questions I had. And, uh, now I, I have some direction. So thank you, Mark. And hopefully that helped uh, somebody else out there. Yeah. And I, I kind of like this format, uh, this, you know, the, the bringing questions and, and, and D de- and hitting them in detail now, some of the people listening to this, it didn't mean anything to them, and, and I understand that. But hopefully, each time we do this, um, we'll hit enough things that it will be interesting to people. So, if you have a question out there, in the same way that Sean does, uh, let's you know, let's call it "Ask the Former Expert." Uh, <laughs> ask the Ask the Has Been. That's that's it. Ask the Has Been. I like it. So, uh, if you've got a problem like that uh, that you can't solve, um, you know, let us know. Send it to us in the uh, in an email or in the forums or whatever, uh, and uh, we will um, discuss it. And you know, maybe not give you answers. Maybe we will. Uh, you know, we just have to kind of see how that uh, all goes down. But I think that we could uh, have an interesting discussion that other people uh, can learn from. And I just remembered 
that we did have some listener feedback I want to read to you. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it because it's it's quite long, but uh, a fellow by the name of James uh, sent in uh, talking about the um, uh, Windows 7 uh, user profile issues where we, you know, we talked about having trouble with uh, the default profile and whatever. Uh, he is, yes. uh, he's from, uh, New Jersey, if I remember correctly. Uh, and he writes a, a relatively lengthy, uh, treatise. It's 14 different steps and I'll post that, uh, somewhere maybe in the show notes or in a forum or something, uh, where he uses a tool to enable, uh, the old style Windows XP copy to profile thing. Uh, and I will say, James, that we tried something similar. Looking at your steps, it wasn't exactly this and didn't have the results that we had hoped for. But uh, he, this process involves going into the registry and, and deleting some hives and some copying some hives. So it's not something that we've tried uh, in uh, particular. But if you're having issues uh, with setting up a default profile in Windows 7, since Microsoft decided to cripple that feature, uh, this may be uh, something you can use. And so thanks, uh, James uh, Travis of Township of Wayne, New Jersey. And I'll put your... Uh, um, steps there on the show notes for the show. All right, good. Yeah, that's that's something that still uh, seems like everybody I know that has to deal with reimaging computers on an annual basis still deals with some sort of profile nastiness uh, that you just sort of try to mitigate as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I really that's one one the one reason I really miss XP was copying profile and setting up the default profile was so easy. So, all right. Uh, oh, what do we move on to now? So, so Sean, <laughs> uh, James sent his feedback by the way of a contact us uh, form. How did he get there and how might others do the same? All right. Well, he can uh, find all of that goodness over there at Element Opie. Dot com and uh, you can uh, find all the show notes and uh, for our various shows on the network you can also uh, join in on the forums and uh, you know chat it up with uh, like-minded people uh, you can find our live feed there and uh, that uh, ever so important as we mentioned at the top of the show tip jar so uh, all kinds of good stuff over there at elementop.com all right and Oh, yeah. Tips of the week. <laughs> I forgot that part. I love it. They're getting you in the chat room. It's been a while. Uh, well, yeah, I was yeah, I was reading and I was writing and I forgot about that part. So, Sean, what is our teacher tip this week? Well, I actually have a tech tip. I just need to go dig it up and I will do that while you're talking. All right. I'll jump in here with my weekly teacher tip of the week. Uh, this one is education world. Uh, so, uh I don't know. I This hit me somewhere out there on the social networks, and thank you people for sending me stuff like this so I don't have to work so hard in finding it. Uh, educationworld.com. Uh, the link is uh, one of those long, nasty links, so I'm not going to spout that off. You can find it in the show notes on our site at elementop.com. But uh, this particular uh, portion of Education World, they've got a lot of great stuff over there. It's a really neat site. But uh, this particular link that we're going to list is a great list of educational certificates. So, uh, you know, these kind of generic certificates that uh, – 
teachers will print up and, you know, uh, Johnny did great on the alphabet or the spelling test or something like that. Uh, it's got a, a whole bunch of these certificates that you can just print off. Uh, you know, they're, they're royalty free. You don't have to pay anything for them. And uh, they, they've got a ton of them for every use. So print them off, sign them. Uh, put a sticker on them and send them home and uh, make a, make a kid feel good about learning. So check it out. Uh, it, again, in the show notes, uh, we'll have that link for you. All right. And my uh, tech tip this week is one that I just stumbled onto uh, on the net. It I, I don't use it, but you might find it interesting. It's called Clover. And Clover solves the problem, if you think it's a problem, of... Um, not having tabbed browsing in Windows Explorer, not Internet Explorer, Windows Explorer. Would you like to be able oh. to open multiple Windows Explorer windows uh, with tabs? Clover does that for you. Oh, how did you not think of me on this one, Mark? <laughs> the guy who's got 100 tabs open in, uh, in Chrome and Firefox and everything else. Wow. Yeah, so if you're, uh, you know, if you've got uh, one window open to uh, your C drive and another window open to a network drive, and and you don't want all those separate, you like to have them in different tabs. Clover does that for you, and it, and it's it's really seamless, and uh, it looks a lot like tabbing in uh, uh, Chrome the way they do it. Um, the website uh, is not in English as the primary language, but there is an English page, and that's what the link will go to. Uh, it, the website is ejie.me, um, and you will see lots of uh, Asian characters on the screen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, it's a it's a, a a thing to Windows Explorer. I, I know it works in Windows Seven. I think it might work in uh, XP as well. But you can get multiple tabs in Windows Explorer if that interests you. So, uh, just thought that was kind of cool and thought I'd share with you. Clover. Uh, look look for me to report in the next week or two on how many tabs it takes to crash this thing. <laughs> I will definitely put this thing to the test. I guarantee you. So uh, that's a good one, Mark. Thank you. All right. So <laughs> there you have it. Uh, that was the Sean tip of the week. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to jump in here and uh, do one more mention. I know we talked about the website, but you can uh, follow us through the different social media uh, outlets out there. Uh, find us at facebook.com slash element OP, or uh, you can follow us on Twitter at element OP. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we still have a unique one for this show, but we don't really use it that much anymore. So uh at Element OP on Twitter, I think it's going to do fine. And, oh, by uh, the, the way, by the way, just oh, okay. recently, I uh, um, put on a, what do they call that, a back back order or something like that. I forget what GoDaddy calls it. Uh, but okay. you, can, uh, you can buy um, domains and put them on back order if somebody has it available. Uh, and, and like two years ago, I put tightwad.com up there. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, okay. not tightwadtech.com because, you know, we wanted that. We couldn't, we were the Tightwad Tech. That was the website. Uh, just like last week, it, the system automatically bought tightwadtech.com. So now that we oh, nice. don't even use that, <laughs> it's available. So if you go to tightwadtech.com, well, you... it redirects to Element OP. 
There you go. There you go. Well, good. At least we have that, you know, for branding purposes, I guess, if not anything else. Uh, and you know, we need, we need some voicemail, Mark. I really, I love hearing the phone calls from our listeners. So if you're listening to this, pick up the phone right now. Listen to me. Listen to Sean. Uh, and pick up the phone and dial 559-IM-OPIE. O-P-I-E. Uh, it, man, it, it takes a minute. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us we're great. Tell us we suck. Uh, you know, ask for some show content, whatever. Uh, it literally just takes a minute and uh, uh, we'll get your feedback and uh, very well may play it on the on the show. So tell us what you think of my quilted bed pads in the background and Sean's uh, uh, sheet. So we, we have beds on the walls here at both of our studios. Right, right. Yeah, well, I've worked on my studio setup a little bit, so it looks better than it did in the past, at least. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, other than that, all I had to say, Mark, is this has been a great show. All right. If you say so, I have no choice but to, leave, to believe you. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for being here, Sean. And I'm going to say that is it for this show so this is Mark signing off and Sean signing off